Well, good morning. I had to really struggle a little bit to find something that was red and green, but I think this might work. Is this all right? Um, I actually have the pants that go with this and the tie. I wore that like it's been six or seven years ago, but something happened. It shrunk while it was hanging in my closet. I don't know if y'all can relate to that or not, but it just, so this kind of fits, but um, it's festive. And now you can say you saw me wear a sport coat to church, okay? So usually I only wear suits for funerals and weddings, but I've got a suit on this morning. So, um, now it's good. I, I don't know if any of y'all have had a crazy week. Um, my week was a little crazy. Uh, I got home last Sunday after church and started feeling rough. Uh, by Sunday night, I was coughing and hacking and felt terrible. Monday and Tuesday felt, felt terrible. Uh, have it just it's the season everything's going around so uh, but back semi full speed today but my throat's still a little rough so uh, if you see me uh, start coughing or hacking um, I apologize for that but uh, I made it through the first service okay Um, and then you know this week has been kind of interesting last night was a crazy storm that blew through did y'all did any y'all awake for that or get woken up by that uh, it was like I could see the inside of my eyelids when the lightning hit. That's how bright it was uh, when it, man, it was loud. It was crazy last night. Uh, so, and then, of course, Gay likes winning football. It's been a good weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about this, the message today. One more announcement, uh, our Christmas offering. Uh, I just wanted to kind of give you an update on that. Each year, uh, Cornerstone, we do something special at the end of the year. We take up a special Christmas offering. We give back because Jesus gave us the greatest gift ever. Um, we want to thank Him first. And this year we're using that to help refinance and pay down our mortgage uh, on this building. And the reason we're doing that, uh, one, our mortgage is up and we have to kind of redo everything. But then secondly, anytime, anything we can reduce our payments by just allows us to put more money back into ministry and mission work. And that's really our heart. Uh, we don't like paying interest. I don't think anybody does. We don't want to pay interest. Uh, interest rates are higher. Let's pay this down. As of last Sunday, our total is at $8,500. So that's pretty good. Y'all can kind of clap for that. That's good. Um, we still got three weeks left in the year, though. Uh, so uh, we, uh, I'm praying that we'll see even that continue to go up uh, quite significantly more so to help us uh, uh, again no guilt no pressure uh, but if that's something you can do you can partner with us to, to help us pay that down we would appreciate it because it's uh, we're in this together uh, in this community and we're making a difference and you see that each and every week with uh, lives being changed by the gospel so this morning I want to open up with some red and green trivia I'm giving you some trivia each week. Uh, I just started thinking, why do we wear red and green at Christmas? And why is that a deal? And so I did some research, uh, tried to find some information um, on that. Christmas trees are green, Santa's suit and Rudolph's nose are red. But is that the reason that we wear red and green? Uh, If you go back in time, uh, basically I found out we're not entirely sure, but there are some reasons that people propose. One Uh, is that early Christians believed red and green were inspired by the life of Jesus. And so 
uh, green signified the eternal life of Jesus. Uh, just as tree, like evergreen trees stayed green, it was kind of significant in the, the early church. The green uh, was a uh, significant color. Red represented the blood shed by Jesus Christ during his crucifixion. So uh, that's one theory. Some scholars date it back to the tradition uh, uh, in the 1300s when churches would present miracle plays. And these were plays that educated people about the Bible. And one of the popular miracle plays that was always performed on Christmas Eve was called the Paradise Play. Uh, it told the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and those familiar with the story uh, know that God instructed Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of good and evil they did so anyway. They were banished from paradise. But uh, apple trees were barren in winter, so churches would bring in pine trees and put apples on their branches to represent the tree of good and evil. And so over time, this, uh, this is one of the theories about how we started bringing Christmas trees in our home. There's other as well. But, uh, and so red and green became Christmas co colors. Another uh, reason red and green became so significant, we can think... Uh, Coca-Cola, uh, because when they started advertising heavily, uh, up until that time, Santa wore all different colors, but they started always showing him with red on, and it became so popular that Santa just wears red now. So there you go. Uh, but you can thank Coca-Cola uh, for that. So uh, anyway, now you know, okay? Don't you feel more knowledgeable about red and green? Now, I don't know what kind of trivia I'm going to give you about ugly sweaters next week, uh, but I'm sure there's some reason why we do ugly sweaters at Christmas. I don't know that yet, uh, but I will be back with you next week to tell you. Um, let me just ask you as we jump in this morning, how is your Christmas season going? Really? You know, um, how, how are you managing everything? How does your Christmas season typically go? If we're honest, I think... Most people would choose words like busy, hectic, frantic, right, to describe our lives this time of the year. Or maybe that's your life all the year round. Maybe it's an overloaded schedule that robs you of peace. Maybe it's loneliness or be just being overwhelmed or tired. Maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe it's pressure at work. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's an unexpected illness. You name it. There's a lot of reasons why I think people would say, this peace that you talk of, I really don't know what it looks like. Because I'm not really living it out in my everyday life. And I'm just going to jump right into the message this morning. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. But here's my first point that I want us to really think about. And it's this. We have no room for peace because we live in chaos. And, and you may be pushing back and saying, my, my life is not really chaos. And well, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. When you think about this time of year, like every year, I, in my mind at least, when it comes to Christmas and shopping, uh, growing up in you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s and seeing all the craziness of the Christmas season, I think back to all the rush on stores to get toys. Do y'all remember? Like if I mentioned Cabbage Patch Kids, for some of y'all are like, those were cool. And some of y'all were like, that was miserable. Right? 
Or, or maybe the Tickle Me Elmo. Uh, we tried to find the Tickle Me Elmo one year, and it was, it was, inc- it was impossible. And, and of course, your kids always want for Christmas what is not available, right? That's just how it goes. Or maybe it was Furbies. You remember those things? Uh, or, you know, when Game Boys came out, or whatever it is. Every year there's something out there that the media says this is the gift that everybody has to get, and it becomes chaos when you try to get it. Um, and so when it comes to Christmas, that's kind of what I think about, people fighting over gifts and getting mad. And thankfully, it's gotten a little bit better because of online shopping, but it's still pretty chaotic, wouldn't you agree? It's, it's still pretty intense trying to, to get the, the perfect gift for each person and who, you know, all that stuff. And when I think about how we live as a society, I, I think our whole Christmas season has become chaotic. Now, we live in a world that doesn't really know peace very well because when you look, just turn on the news if you don't believe me, Right? If you think we live in a peaceful world, turn on the news. What do you see? People arguing with each other first. And then you start seeing all the conflict in all the places around the world. You see people that don't have peace with God. They don't have peace with each other. They have fear and anxiety and worry and uncertainty. Right? We live in a divided world as well. And just think we're getting ready to come up on an election year. Now, isn't this going to be a fun year to see how united and peaceful we are as a people? It's going to be crazy. I'm dreading it already. And, and I'm just telling you this because we're, you know, we're worried about all this stuff in our world. We're worried about China and about Russia, uh, about North Korea, about all the terrorism around the world, what's happening in Israel, the effect that that conflict has on the rest of the world. We're worried about so many things. We're worried about, well, w- w- is artificial intelligence going to take over the world? Are robots going to be doing our jobs? Whatever it is, there's all this stuff that's on our minds saying, it's this crazy world we live in. And so we're trying to deal with all that. And if, I, if we're just really, truly honest, I don't think we would say we live in a peaceful world. That's kind of uh, interesting because I think uh, Isaiah, when he wrote in the Old Testament, he was 8th century B.C., writing before Christ, many centuries before, and he was writing to a time that was not peaceful. Their country was in turmoil. Uh, and what Isaiah did, he, he was known for these very powerful pronouncements, very poetic pronouncements too. Uh, and so he would make these pronouncements of judgment, but then he would give these tender expressions of hope. And so the people were struggling, they were you know, getting ready to be exiled, all this stuff is happening, and he is just giving them, here's what's got to change, but don't lose hope. But don't lose hope. And, and this, this theme of hope uh, it goes throughout the book of Isaiah. He was born in Jerusalem. And, and you see how he had this dramatic encounter with God that changed his life. And, and he then would just start telling the people that judgment is coming, but hope is coming too. And that hope is going to be coming from a, a baby born. 
And, and, and that baby will be the Messiah. He will be the one that suffers for us. All these details about Jesus. Again, over 700 years before Jesus arrived. And I, Isaiah lays out what's about to happen. Uh, let's look back to a passage I shared last week. Um, and this is important. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Uh, kind of a famous Christmas passage here. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Now again, think about it. This is to a people who are not living in peace. They need hope. And so when we read it today, I would hope that we would read it the same way. We, we need hope. The message paraphrases it this way. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Wholeness. Now, I want you to remember that word because we'll be coming back to it. His ruling authority will grow and there'll be no limits to the wholeness he brings. So he's the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness. Uh, Pastor J.D. Greer wrote this in one of his books about Christmas. He said, here's the problem that many have with Jesus. He was supposed to be the Prince of Peace, but he didn't seem to deliver. When he was born, the angelic choir famous, famously pronounced that he had brought peace on earth. And yet, 2,000 years later, the guns still do not fall silent, not even on Christmas Day. Relational strife and domestic violence still impact more households than most of us realize. Poverty still affects or still afflicts millions of people throughout the world. Injustice is still the daily experience of huge parts of our society. So why didn't Jesus fulfill the, the promise of the title that Isaiah gave him, the Prince of Peace? Was bringing peace on earth just too big of a task? Actually, when we think of peace that way, we are looking at something much smaller than what Isaiah had in mind. To understand that more, I want to help us uh, uh, as we go through this series to really understand these words. Because when we talk about the words of Advent like hope and peace and joy and love, those are words that we use a lot, but I don't know that we always have a really good understanding of what they mean of the detailed understanding because when we talk about biblical peace there is more to it than just not fighting and I think that's kind of in our minds we think about it that absence of conflict type of peace uh, if there's not fighting then it's peace well that's not really what peace is and so each week um, I'm going to be sharing a short little video with you from the Bible Project uh, we showed one last week on hope. This week I want to show one on peace that kind of explains the biblical background so that we have a better understanding of the words that we use at Christmas time. And so would you watch with me this, this video? The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. 
It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So pretty neat. I love those because it kind of gives you such a better understanding, that, that idea that peace is that wholeness. Now, when you're uh, in Israel, uh, the greeting that people use when they meet each other is shalom. And so you'll hear that word a lot. And when we were there in uh, the old city of Jerusalem, you, you're hearing and just people saying shalom to each other. And we're walking down one of these side streets and uh, I see Jennifer duck into one of these markets. I'm like, what's she? And she comes out with a piece of olive wood that says shalom y'all. <laughs> <clears throat> So we've got it at home. She, I'm like, what? Is, she's like, oh, I just took a second. I just bought this. I need. I had to have it. I said shalom, y'all. So uh, that's the, that's the southern way of saying peace, right? Shalom, y'all. Um, but you know, in, that's the way. The, and if you think about it, 
instead of saying, what's up or how's it going, when you say shalom, you're wishing, you're blessing that other person and saying, I pray that you have peace and wholeness in your life. It's a lot better greeting in my opinion, right? Uh, that's kind of what we're all seeking, we all want. And so I think it's actually pretty cool. But let's talk about peace a little bit. When we think of peace, again, I think immediately our mind goes to this no wars, the absence of conflict, and then countries are at peace when they're not fighting. But uh, as you watch that video, you see that there's so much more. Uh, the word that is used in the Old Testament is so much more than that. Shalom is this picture of health and wholeness, this picture of harmony and completeness. To have shalom is to be fulfilled. It's to be living the way that God intended. And so I said earlier that we don't have peace because we're living in chaos. So I was thinking a lot this week about what's the opposite of peace. Let me give you the definition of chaos. The definition, if you look it up online, it says it's an intense and deep confusion or disorder. An intense and deep confusion or disorder. Now, I don't know about you, but I would propose that chaos is a good antonym of peace. It's the opposite, isn't it? Isn't it the, the opposite of what peace is, is chaos? When you're living that intense and deep confusion and disorder, that's the opposite. And Satan wants nothing more than us to live this confused, disordered life. He wants us to be confused about our future. He wants us to be confused about what's happening. He doesn't want us to be complete. He doesn't want us to be whole. He wants us to be disordered by sin and by fear. And so I think we live far too much in confusion. Far too much in disorder. We live disordered lives. We live confused lives. How does this show up? Well, it shows up when you're anxious about the future. It shows up when you're worried about your finances. It shows up when you have broken relationships. It shows up when you experience jealousy and greed and materialism. It shows up when you're disappointed about the circumstances in life. It shows up when you just don't know who God is and you don't know if you can trust God. That's disorder. That's chaos. That's confusion. And so I feel like that's a pretty good summary of the world that we live in today, which kind of brings me to my second point. I don't want to stay there. We, we've got to make room for the peace that only God can bring. We, we have a choice this morning. Are we going to live in that chaos? Or are we going to start making room to, for the peace that God wants us to experience? As we saw in the video, the peace that God brings is different. Let me kind of give you the theological backdrop. And, and you've heard this and you know it, but let's put the pieces together. All the way back in Genesis, God created the world perfectly Everything God made was good, holy, and perfect. The world, the world was a picture of peace. Uh, it was shalom. Everything that God made lived in perfect harmony. Humans and animals lived together with no fear. There was no fear of sickness, no fear of death, no fear of broken relationships. All right? uh, even you look, and God and man had relationship together. They walked 
together. But we know what happened because of sin. Because of Satan's deception, Adam and Eve took the fruit and rebelled and ate. And every relationship was broken as a result. The relationship between God and mankind and the relationship between each other was broken. And because of that, words like guilt and shame and fear and anxiety all entered our vocabulary. Adam and Eve went from walking with God to hiding from God. And what, that's what sin does. It breaks the perfect peace between God and man because sin cannot coexist with a holy God. And that was the hopeless situation that was passed down from generation to generation. And by the time Isaiah was writing, he was writing to people who were slowly losing hope. And he's telling them, don't give up. And Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, it says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. This is the promise he's telling them. We've got to clear the way. We've got to get rid of the confusion, the chaos, the clutter. We've got to make room for God. He tells of a prince of peace that will come and usher in a new way of life. Isaiah promises that a child will be born that will restore Israel's brokenness. The birth of the Messiah will bring peace. And this is what the, the angels announced to the shepherds in the hills surrounding Bethlehem in Luke chapter 2. It says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The first thing the angels say, right? Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. This Messiah would end wars. He would remove oppression. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will settle disputes so that the people can trade in their weapons and turn them into plows. And he would, share, he would serve with kindness and humility. He would start putting the world back together and be whole again. But we also know that that process is still yet to be fully completed because it won't be completed until Jesus returns for the second advent. God both initiates peace and He sustains peace. And I'll just ask you this. Uh, do you think that we can achieve peace apart from God? you think there'll ever be peace in the Middle East until Jesus comes back? Do you think we can experience the full meaning of peace without Jesus? You see, He gives us, He grants us peace. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 26. He says, Lord, You will grant us peace. That's how we experience peace. And, and Jesus even told His disciples in John 14, He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. This is when He is reassuring them. Before he's going uh, to the cross, he's, I'm leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And so we see here that fear robs us of the peace that God wants us to experience. So how do we receive this peace? It's interesting that this idea of peace is throughout the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. 
And Colossians, this is what Paul says in chapter 1. He says, For God in all of His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. You want to know, is Jesus really God? This is a verse that tells us that Jesus was fully God. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. What this tells us is that peace is a person. It all comes back to a person. Peace is Jesus. Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way. He says, For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. It means that Jesus is our final peace offering because He went to the cross for us. We can have peace with God and we can have peace with each other. And so when you are saved, when you are born again as a follower of Jesus, you have peace with God because your sins have been forgiven. You've received the righteousness of Christ. You now stand before Him holy and blameless. Romans 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. The gospel message. And that kind of leads me to my final point this morning. When we are at peace with God. All right, we can be at peace with one another because we are called to be peacemakers. If we have received this gift of peace through salvation. Through our faith in Jesus. Then it's not ours to hoard it's ours to share. We can be at peace with each other. When we're, when we're at peace with God, we can be at peace with our circumstances. When we're at, pe- <laughs> when we're at peace with God, we don't have to be controlled by our, by our anxiety or our fear. We don't have to try to control everything. We, we can live in a, in a way that we have peace because we know who God is. We know what He has done. We know what the future holds. We don't have to live in fear or chaos any longer. If we're living in chaos, I'm just telling you, it is so hard to share peace with other people. Let, let me just read Philippians 4 to you because I know you've heard this verse before. But I want you to think about this. What really defines your life? Is it chaos or is it peace? Don't worry about anything. How many of y'all are already convicted? Right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. I mean, you just, we can stop right there and like say that probably is convicting to about almost every single person in this room because we worry about a lot of stuff. Things that are in our control and things that are outside of our control, we still worry about them. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's what? I didn't hear you. Then we will experience God's what? Peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
This is the peace that transcends all understanding. And I'm just telling you guys, this is what I want in my life. I want my life to be defined by a peace that the world cannot understand. I want people, when they look at me, to see a peaceful person, not a chaotic person. Convicting, isn't it? It is to me. We can have peace with God, we can have peace with others, but the reality is this world that we're living in does not understand this peace. And so instead of, again, hoarding it to ourselves, why don't we start sharing it with others? Because what Jesus asked us to do is to share and join his movement of bringing shalom to a broken world. And so I'm, as a follower of Jesus now, I have a responsibility to tell other people about the good news that you can be reconciled to God. It starts in our homes. It starts in our families. It means we work through the conflict to bring peace into our relationships. And whether that's at work or at school or in our families, we do the hard work to bring shalom, to bring the wholeness back. To put things back together the way that they're supposed to be. We model for the world what that peace looks like. We stand up for injustice just like Jesus. We, we seek peace for our city and for our community. It means we live with hope. I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit here. If the first words that people always say about you, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on. I know it's kind of a crazy season for you. If that's how people describe your life, is that peace? Or is it chaos? Again, I, and I'm trying, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Hear me on this, right? This, this is the world we live in, and we fall into that trap where we just think it's normal to be chaotic. We think it's normal to not have peace. John Ortberg says it this way. He says, hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Think about that statement for a minute. We live where we're constantly in a state of hurry. We're hurrying from one place to the next, and we're trying to juggle getting this kid here and doing this and making this meeting and doing this and doing this, and we got to be here and do and we're, we're just hurrying all the time. That's not a disordered schedule. That's, show, that's, a, that's an indicator of a disordered heart. That means our priorities are wrong. That means that we're not really living out this peace, and we're not, if we're not living it out, then we can't share it. We share it by the way we live. We share it so that people, when they look at our lives, they see that we are at peace. Does that make sense? Well, let's read about this calling that we now have, that we can find peace so we can share peace. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Incredible chapter of the Bible. Uh, I'll just pick it up in verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. 
For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation so that we tell each other that you can be reconciled with each other and you can be reconciled to God. What are we doing? We're bringing shalom back to the world. We're helping people realize that their life is not complete apart from Jesus. We show it with the way we live. We share it with the words we say. Jesus came to usher in this new kingdom, a new way of life, and His death creates peace between God and us, and that is the message that we tell other people. And so I would just say that this Advent season, I'm thankful for it because it's a reminder to us that while we're waiting for Jesus to come back for a second Advent, we should be preparing. We should be preparing. We live in peace and we share peace. And the only way we can do that is by making room. Making room in our hearts, making room in our life. And, and it just, it's just making it a priority to tell people about this hope, this peace, this love, and this joy that we have. And one more thing. At the end of time, we know Jesus is coming back. He's going to reign peacefully forever and ever. Revelation 21 tells us of the time that there will be no more conflict. That all of Christ's people will live with Him forever in complete peace. There will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more death. All, I mean, we'll just be at peace forever with Him. And I know we all long for that. But in the meantime, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Billy Graham, uh, I've listened to a lot of his sermons and have a lot of respect for, for Billy Graham. And he used uh, Romans 5.1 a lot. Uh, I read it earlier, but here it is again. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He had a little brochure, maybe he sent it, Steps to Peace with God. Have you all seen that? Uh, he preached about it, wrote a book called Peace with God. This is what he said in his book. He said, as we look around, we find that there is little personal, domestic, social, economic, or political peace anywhere. Why? It's because we all have the seeds of suspicion and violence, of hatred and destruction within us. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We, we are to try for peace. And peace can only be experienced only when we have received divine pardon. When we have been reconciled to God and when we have the harmony within, without, with our fellow man and especially with God. But through the blood of the cross, Christ has made peace with God for us. And he is himself our peace. If by faith we accept him, we are justified by God and we can realize the inner serenity that can only come to man through no other means. When Christ enters our heart, we are freed of that haunting sense of sin. And so I just want to invite you this morning. Have you received that peace from God? That's where this all starts. Before we can share it with other people, we have to experience it for ourselves. And when we realize that our sins have been forgiven, when we realize that we've been, we are now a new person in Christ, that we don't have to be a slave to sin any longer, that we can live differently, it gives us a peace that this world cannot understand. And so I want to just ask that you bow your heads this morning. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask that you pray with us as well if you're online today. 
And, and let's, just, let's just seek peace this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We're so thankful for Jesus. Um, his death accomplished what we could not do on our own. He, uh, Jesus was our final, our once and forever uh, peace offering to God. And so because of that, our sins can be forgiven. We can be cleansed of our unrighteousness. And so, Heavenly Father, I, I pray for, for all of us that we can know the peace that comes from you. If, if you're listening today and you are a believer in Jesus, then I want to challenge you um, to, to truly trust him, to not live in fear, not live in chaos, not live in worry, not live in anxiety. And if you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, I believe. I put my faith in you this morning. I'm tired of living a chaotic, worried, stress-filled, anxiety-filled life where I'm trying to control everything. I want you to be my Lord. I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed. And today I want to accept the gift, the free gift that you have offered to be the penalty for my sins, to be the payment for my sins through the cross, through the blood of Jesus. And so today, Lord, I believe, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. I believe in my heart, God. I know that you are who you say you are. And so I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. That's your prayer today. Jesus heard it. He answers it. He always answers it. And he saves you. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We've, we're so thankful for this peace that you give us. And so help us, to be, help us to be people who live with that peace. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. <laughs> that was not peaceful. I jumped. But you never know. We'll keep it real. Uh, I do want to close with one more verse that I want to pray over you this morning. Um, if you made any kind of decision, let us know this morning. Uh, we'd love to talk with you. Please, if you're visiting, if you made any type of decision, you can fill out a connection card, bring it by. Uh, you can bring it by the information desk. We'd love to meet you and talk to you. Um, you can come to the cross and pray and leave your prayer request there as well. Um, but I want to close with Romans 15, 33. And it's simply this. And now may God, who gives us his peace, be with, <clears throat> be with you all. And my voice held out. So, guys, let's stand as we close this morning and give thanks to God. <laughs>